0: And tonight we pick up in Genesis 37 again. So if you're not already in Genesis 37, that's where we are. And we left off last week uh, with the first 11 verses of this chapter. And we saw the son who became a dreamer. We saw Joseph was given, you know, we, we got a glimpse into his relationship with his God, his relationship with his father, and his relationship with his brothers. You know, first we saw his relationship with his God, and, and we saw how God is sovereign uh, over everything. God's sovereign love and choice of Joseph among the twelve brothers was very paramount in that opening passage. Um, God did not personally speak to Joseph, but he did reveal things to Joseph. He gave him revelation through dr- dreams. He he showed him the future through two dreams, specifically a future in which his family would be subject to him, and of course we saw um, that 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 is that is entirely based on God's choice of him. We also saw his relationship with his father. That Joseph did what was right and what was faithful. He had his father's interest in mind. His father's interest were his interest first, foremost, and always. Uh, he did not have to bring that bad report about his brothers to his father, but he did it because it was the right thing to do because his father's interests were at stake. So uh, he did the hard thing, and he had to endure tough consequences in order to be faithful to his father. Um, On the other hand, we also saw that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of the others, and he made that obvious as well. And that leads to the relationship he has with his brothers, and their anger at their father's favor of Joseph. It provoked them to focus their envy and their their hatred upon him, upon Joseph. Uh, there's that verse, verse four. They could not even speak to him with friendly on friendly terms. So it was bad. Um, and if James four four is right, and it is. James 4, 4 tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And if you want to kind of apply that to this situation, if the reciprocal is true that friendship with God means hostility with the world, and it most oftentimes does, then Joseph's relationship with his heavenly father and with his earthly father meant hostility with his brothers. And it's a consequence Joseph didn't necessarily seek. We don't seek to be at odds with the world. But one... Um, And once he appeared willing to accept it, it it meant you know he's going to be faithful to God. He's going to be faithful to his father, uh, whatever the cost. And that brings us to the rest of the first part of Joseph's story. And the first thing we see in our account today, which will take us from 12 to the end of the chapter, is the faithfulness of Joseph once again, the faithfulness of Joseph. So let's begin reading in verse 12. It says, Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and their welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. We'll stop there for a second. This passage begins with a somewhat shocking statement. Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks in, of all places, Shechem. And the reason that should ring a bell to us is the last time we saw Shechem in Genesis, it was in chapter 34. And that is the chapter where Jacob's daughter, Dinah, is raped. Uh, Simeon and Levi, the second and third sons of Jacob, take it upon themselves to retaliate, and, and they slew all the males of Shechem in that episode, and Jacob ends up fearing that the result of all of that will be that the Canaanites and the Perizzites will gather together and attack his family and destroy them. So it's surprising to the reader as we see this that his brothers would go back there, and apparently Jacob was all right with it. And what's more, he is sending Joseph back into that area to check on them and bring a report back to to him. Now, it's possible Jacob has since strengthened in his faith. And what, why would I say that? I would say that because Jacob knows he has been promised many descendants, just as his father was and just as his grandfather was. And so if he's faithful, if he, if, if he has a, a bedrock faith in the Lord here, he knows that if he loses descendants, that means the, the promise of God is not true. But he believes in the promise of God here. So he is a little bit bolder here to be okay with his sons going into Shechem. Also, a very good possibility is that he knew because of what Simeon and Levi did, that that area was pretty much deserted. Uh, We see him wandering around Joseph in this passage. So uh, he probably didn't have a whole lot to fear. Whatever the case, that is where the brothers headed. But apparently their trip was long enough so that Jacob had not heard from them in a while now he may have begun to question whether or not the Canaanites and Perizzites did attack his sons but more likely he just wanted an update because he does send his favorite son into this area Joseph goes alone to go check on them he knows he can depend on Joseph he knows that Joseph will tell him the truth he knows that Joseph will do what is right and faithful and so he sends him. Of course, Benjamin is not included here. Benjamin is still too young. So the presumption here is that it, all ten of Joseph's older brothers are up in this area.
1: That seems odd.
0: It does seem odd.
1: Especially them not sending word back to him. It's not like they couldn't have spared somebody to uh, take word back to him. But, I mean, it just seems odd that, uh, that uh, Jacob would stay with i guess the women and the children and whatever and all ten of his sons including the ones you would think would be his what
0: second in command or whatever well jacob is older now so he's probably not doing a whole lot of pasturing himself at this point but he he sends joseph up to shechem which is about 50 miles north of hebron so it's not a small trip it's about a It would have taken longer for the brothers to get up there because they've got the flocks with them. Uh, For Joseph, it probably took at least two or three days. When he gets there, he finds nothing. We see him wandering around here. It's like when I go to Food Lion and I have a list, but I don't know where things are. They
1: changed the, the new hair's teeter find her yeah come out for three days i
0: oh, know <laughs> i've been down to that one man. uh but when you know when i'm going to get something i'm not familiar with it takes me a while um and then they went and changed the the rose of a, a few weeks a few months ago but anyway um a man finds him and asks him what are you looking for basically and Joseph says his brothers, and it's very likely the man is not guessing by any means. He knows exactly who Joseph's talking about for two reasons. One, he probably saw them heading up to Dothan, but two, he know the sons of Jacob are well known in that region because of what happened at Shechem. And he probably didn't want any trouble, so he sends Joseph up to Dothan. That's another 20 miles north of Shechem, so now 70 miles, no small... Uh, length of space when you don't have an automobile um, and and he finds his brothers there and it's there we see, we've seen the faithfulness of Joseph in doing what his father wants him to do now we see the brothers evil toward Joseph really begins to manifest beginning in verse 18 when they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them they plotted against him to put him to death they said to one another here comes this dreamer Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him, then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father." So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And, and here we see the degree of their hatred for their own brother. You know, Far from home, far removed from the restraining hand of their father. And When I was reading through this, that part of it, caused me to think about the world during the tribulation. Um, And and I believe even in our culture today, we're we're seeing the restraining hand of God kind of being removed from our culture. The the, the world is being left to itself, and we'll really see this in the time of the tribulation. During our study of 2 Thessalonians, we saw that the restrainer will be removed during the time of tribulation. The Holy Spirit is Will, will withdraw himself, so to speak, so that people will basically be left to themselves. And during the tribulation, it will be a time where, where as evil as some things seem today, then evil will accelerate and intensify in a way we really um, probably don't even appreciate today. But that's what we're seeing here in, in, in a microcosm. Far from home, Far removed from the restraining hand of their father, the brother's evil accelerates and intensifies as they plot to kill their own brother. They are Cain to his able. And the purpose for their plan is seen in 19 and 20. Note how the quote begins and ends. Here comes this dreamer, then let us see what will become of his dreams. It is said with scorn and it gives you the source of their hatred. I mean, the dreams are what have put them over the top as far as their hatred for Joseph. Um, they are not going to tolerate their brother reigning over them. They are not going to bow down to him. And, and you get the sense deep down when you when you when you just read through this, and maybe when you read through it over and over again, like I have the past few days, they know there's more to these dreams than meets the eye, because. They feel the need to kill him so the dreams don't come true. It's almost as if they are the unregenerate man of, of, of Romans 1 that Paul writes about. They are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. That's, that, that's the sense I get here. They are going to take it upon themselves to make sure this doesn't happen. They are going to kill him themselves. They're going to throw him into the pit. And then they're going to tell people, like their father, that a wild beast or literally, literally not wild, but literally a bad beast or an evil beast. is The the Hebrew word means that, uh, that an evil beast has devoured him. That looks like it's about to happen, and then Reuben steps up. And and remember Reuben, he's Jacob's firstborn son. And he's also the son who had intercourse with one of Jacob's wives, Bilhah. Um, And as we saw last week, The brothers very well may have looked at Jacob giving Joseph this coat as a way of saying, you now have the birthright that was originally Reuben's because of what Reuben did. And it would have been very understandable for them to think that. So it would seem that that Reuben would have as much motivation as anybody to see Joseph dead. But the way this is written, it would seem he wasn't in on the plans to kill Joseph. Like maybe he stepped away for a minute and when he came back they are ready to hatch the plan and then he steps up he he's not going to be able to stop them from hurting joseph but instead of killing them shed no blood let us not take his life he's going to he he he's got it in his mind to rescue him later his plan is to throw him in the pit so that he can't get out but that he can he can get him out later and restore him to his father and there are a couple of schools of thought on this one is that Reuben saw this maybe as a way to get back into his father's good graces. Um, uh, saving Joseph, I mean, his favorite son. Saving Joseph at the expense of these other brothers. After all, he'll eventually uh, go along with deceiving uh, their father, saying Joseph's dead, but, but maybe, maybe he could have saved him. Um, that maybe that's his train of thought here. The other thought is that Reuben really had learned from his mistake. Maybe he is truly repentant from his sin with Bilhah. And though he can't recover his birthright, maybe his heart is in the right place here and does want to save his brother the only way he could, given his, his brother's anger. Uh, later on in this account, we're going to see him express grief. And, and for Joseph's part, he does seem to recognize that Reuben's attitude was different than the others. We're going to see that later on when they're in Egypt, uh, when he sends his brothers back to Canaan to get Benjamin, you remember that when when Joseph's in power, he's going to send his brothers back to Canaan to bring the youngest Benjamin to him, and, and instead of keeping Reuben as collateral, as human collateral, he's going to keep Simeon, the second oldest as collateral. So Reuben's going to get to go. That also maybe indicates that Simeon may have been the ringleader of this whole thing, but that's a little bit of speculation.
1: You know, you have to you have to know undercurrent that the relationship of Jacob and his two wives have contributed to this. I mean, most of his brothers would have been what 25-30 older. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, how would a how would a thirty year old normally react <coughs> to a seventeen year old younger yeah. brother who said something about I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be president one day yeah. and, and they would have laughed and said idiot and gone on. So there has to be more yeah. than just Joseph's dreams that they That's don't like.
0: Absolutely right. Remember, Rachel was his favorite wife, the other sons couldn't have liked that
1: and
0: Leah came to hate her sister. They, they had their issues. Yeah. And, and we saw that while the polygamy of Genesis isn't exactly condemned, what's made clear, what doesn't change is that creation mandate of one flesh. And every time we see more than one wife in Scripture, it always, always, always leads to some sort of problems in the family. It always does. Uh, there's no exceptions to that, really, when we see polygamy in the scriptures. So that family dynamic going back a, a, a long time now, playing into all this, and unmistakably, that's, that's, uh, that's a contributing factor here. And, and Leah was very open about her hostility. Yes, and, and, and I would say Rachel was, too, uh, for a time there. Um
1: probably fed
0: their children on their... Oh, absolutely. I mean... You
1: know, they, similar to what we see in divorce families now with the, with the first wife, second wife, yeah. first husband, second husband. It's a very rare person who doesn't feed the children their dis, disfavor.
0: And, and last week we saw earlier in this chapter that the bad report was specifically about the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. So they are the 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 maid wives the lesser wives and so those particular children probably had an even bigger chip on their shoulder about their place within this family it's just a a bundle of, of trouble ready to just explode and here we see it exploding so where which school of thought is correct when it comes to reuben i really could go either way and maybe it's a mixture of the two reuben is is definitely conflicted later on. He doesn't want to bring additional pain to his father. Um, In any event, what happens? The brothers take the coat off of Joseph. Rather than bow down to him, they cast him down below them into the pit, if you want some symbolism there. So let's keep on reading. 25. Then they sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites, was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. That's so, their first cousins. Yeah. Um, it's an uh, interesting family. But uh, remarkably, after throwing their brother in a hole, they sit down to eat. or, or Literally, they, they sit down... It says eat a meal. Literally, it's eat bread. Um, ironically, they had planned to say an evil beast devoured their brother, but now they are devouring bread. Uh, there's kind of a play on words there in the Hebrew indicating who the evil beasts are that really attacked Joseph. The, the, in, it, it's the brothers. It's not any actual animals. But then in the providence of God, and and let us not think for one second, God is not in charge of all this and ordaining all this, because just then this caravan of Ishmaelites, also called Midianites here, show up. Ishmael, of course, is the son of Abraham, who was not the son of promise. And Midian is also a son of Abraham. He's one of the sons that come later on after Sarah's death um that we don't think about nearly as much but the ishmaelites and midianites are often grouped together uh, their descendants were and here they are on a trade route that passes around that way from Gilead which is east of the Jordan River they're on their way down to Egypt and Reuben seems to have gone has stepped away again at this point so up steps Judah the fourth son of Jacob, Numbers 2 and 3, Simeon and Levi, seem to be on board with, with killing Joseph. But Judah steps up and suggests selling Joseph rather than laying hands on them themselves. So on the one hand, his plan calls for selling Joseph to people who are going to do who knows what with them. And his plan was sold on the profit they're all going to receive. They're, you know, they're going to get money out of this. So he's definitely not excused of guilt here by any stretch of the imagination. But on the other hand... He's also <coughs> Judah's also preventing Joseph's death at the hands of his own brothers. His his plan prevails. They sell Joseph for twenty shekels of silver. And this while though it's not stated here, it is later in Genesis forty two twenty one. This is all happening while they saw the distress of Joseph's soul as he pleaded with him. That's the way that verse puts it later on in Genesis forty two. They see the distress of Joseph's soul as he pleads with them. And again, that that just speaks to the hate. It speaks to the the envy, the treachery of the brothers here. The evil that is accelerating and intensifying within them. It it speaks to them being the evil beast of this chapter. But we're not done because we, we not only see the faithfulness of Joseph and the evil of the brothers toward Joseph, But now we see the son's evil toward their father, toward Jacob. Look at verse 29. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there, as for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood and they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said we found this please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not then he examined it and said it is my son's tunic a wild beast has devoured him Joseph has surely been torn to pieces so here's why we see Reuben was gone when Joseph was sold because he comes back intending to save Joseph and Joseph is oops he's gone so
1: Somebody's got a <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and, and what do we see here? he he tears his garments, so you know we see this throughout the Old Testament. It is a sign of grief, it is a sign of anguish of of, of emotional pain, you know even in Jesus' day, you know they tear they tear their garments, um, you, you could argue he's upset because his plan to get back in his father's good graces is now gone. But it does seem to be more genuine than that. He, 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 he catches up with his brothers. He reports the news to them that he's gone. And realizing he'd probably be held responsible, essentially asks, where will I go? And of course, at this point, he finds out what they did with him. So how could he tell his father all of this? Well, he, he doesn't. At this plan, I mean, at this point, They formulate what they're going to tell their father. Uh, They dip the coat in goat blood. It's not explicitly said that they ripped it up, but they most likely did that as well to accompany their lie. They bring it to Jacob and plain ignorant. Is this your son's coat? Is this Joseph's coat? Examine the coat. Is it his? And what's even more wicked here is they don't tell the lie outright. They allow their father to deduce the lie from the false evidence they provide. So they're not even willing to say it out loud. But Jacob, certainly not suspecting his own sons would do this to a brother, does conclude Joseph is dead. He does conclude that a wild beast devoured him. So then we see the anguish of the father in verses 34 and 35. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Basically, he, he rips his clothes and only covers his private areas um, with 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 a sackcloth for many days, for, for an extended period of mourning here. Uh, because now he has lost Rachel, his favorite wife, And now he has lost the firstborn of his favorite wife, the one who was his most loved, the one who was his favorite son, the one who was going to get the birthright, It was getting the birthright because of what Reuben had done. Um, Also note that all his sons tried to comfort him and all his daughters. And daughters is in the plural here, which goes to show what we've talked about earlier, that Jacob had more than one daughter. Um... Many more, as we're going to find out later. Uh, But uh, he refused to be comforted. And and how hypocritical, by the way, of the sons to try to comfort their father. Now, we can give them the benefit of the doubt and say they did not want to see their father in such pain. Right? I mean, we could give them that benefit of the doubt. But part of their hatred of Joseph... It was jealousy. It was each of them wanting the relationship with their father that Joseph had had. But as is so often the case, you reap what you sow. Your sins sometimes have unintended consequences, things you can't even comprehend. And their treachery brings extreme pain to this whole family. But here they are, and they're playing a game in front of their father, a hypocritical game looking the part of one who is concerned for their father when they are the ones who have caused all this hurt and will not admit it. They have betrayed their father egregiously, and yet they are playing along as if concerned. Jacob mourns. He says, "You know, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So he's going to go to the grave mourning for, for Jacob. And... Uh, There's nothing in the Bible which specifically specifically says this account is a foreshadowing or a type, so to speak, of Jesus. And I'll be the first to say that we've got to be very careful in our study of Scripture not to assign types or symbols to things in Scripture which don't explicitly say this is a type or a symbol. There are some things in Scripture... Where it's clear, it's symbolic, and then there are other things where sometimes we're tempted to, to call it symbolism. There are, though, some jarring similarities here between what we've just read and the story of our Savior. We see the faithfulness of Joseph in this passage. In the Gospels, we see the perfect faithfulness of God's only begotten, beloved, favored son. We see the evil of the brothers toward Joseph. In the Gospels, we see Jesus' brethren according to the flesh, the Jews, cry out, crucify him, crucify him. One of his brothers actually betrays him outright, Judas. We see the evil of the sons toward their father. In the Gospels, we see God's chosen nation reject the, way, the one way that he has provided for their salvation, the same way people reject God's way of salvation today. And many, like Jacob's sons, to this day, play a hypocritical game in front of God the Father. They act like they love Him. They act like they're concerned for the things of God. When in reality, all they're doing and all they've done is a continual betrayal of Him. I was talking to Joshua before y'all got here about James chapter 2 and that whole thing about show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my, my, my faith by my works. We've got people who are, who say they are faithful, but they don't have any works to show that they actually believe. Faith without works is dead, and that's what the, the sons of Jacob are, are a picture of here, a picture of faith without works. We see the anguish of the father in Jacob. In the Gospels, there is a grieving and blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, And though God was pleased to crush his son, as we read in Isaiah 53, because the end result is our salvation, it brought him pain as well. And just as as we'll see in Genesis 50 verse 20, that what the brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. The evil of the cross was meant by God for the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of everyone who will ever believe. So, in, in these ways, the rejection and the selling of Joseph into slavery, this dreamer who became a slave, is a foreshadowing of the gospel. Meanwhile, verse 36 the Midianites sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So, this is where Joseph winds up as this chapter concludes. That word for officer or official can also mean eunuch which may in part explain the behavior of Potiphar's wife in chapter 39. Um, We'll get to that later on. But being a captain of the bodyguard, that's a prominent position in Egypt. You are the captain of the people in charge of protecting the king, and furthermore, you're captain of the people in charge of getting rid of threats to the king. The point is, Joseph as he comes into Egypt, is already in a higher place than he was in that pit. Um, And of course, Joseph is not done experiencing pain and and problems. But God's plan for him is already coming to pass. Uh, And there's no doubt he was hurt. There's no doubt he was saddened. And there's probably a lot of anger in there as well. But in time and through what will happen to him, The faithful son comes to see that this is all of God. So for us, we have to remember that if we serve our father faithfully, if we seek our father's interest first, foremost, and always, we will very likely experience hardships, suffering, heartache, betrayals, significant setbacks, we may be put in very bad positions like Joseph, but ultimately nothing can separate those whom God has set his love on from the very love of God itself. And nothing can stop God from bringing his will to pass. So as Joseph will do, let us seek the interest of our Father first, foremost, and always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, your, your word tells us in First Corinthians 10 that these things are given to us as examples. And sometimes we see bad examples in scripture, sometimes we see good examples in scripture. We see both in Genesis chapter 37. The example of Joseph's brothers is about as bad as it gets. It is, a, it is a, a an alarm for us to guard ourselves against envy, jealousy, hatred. We need to check our anger, Father. Because most of the time when we're angry, that anger is born of pride. And the sons of Jacob expressed those things in very sinful ways in this chapter. Father, they are a warning to us that if our sinful proclivities go unchecked by your grace we will accelerate and intensify in our sin and it will bring us a lot of problems but father we also see the good example of joseph here and we see father that for those who follow you faithfully it can be a very rocky road in life Father, uh, being faithful to you in this world does not guarantee us riches. It doesn't guarantee us good health. It doesn't guarantee us good relationships with others. What it does guarantee us is eternity by your side. We are here to please you, Father. As Paul writes in Galatians, am I here to please God or am I here to please man? If I'm here to please man, I am not a bondservant of Christ. And Joseph here is a picture of that. And he sold into slavery as a result of his faithfulness. That's not to say, Father, that he is perfect. He probably wasn't perfect in all the ways he handled this situation. But, Father, what we come to see is he depended on you and he ended up learning through his hardships your sovereign and gracious hand upon his life. And I pray, Father, that you might reveal that in our lives may we see your sovereign and gracious hand on our own lives and may that embolden us to live faithfully all the more even if it means we become slaves Father let us first remember that we are slaves of Christ bondservants of Christ and that is a great 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 place to be because that is where true freedom is freedom from sin Freedom from the things of this world which are passing away. Father, it brings us closer into your presence as we await that glory to come. And I pray that we will exhibit that in our lives as we try to live more faithfully to you. We will do this if your grace permits us. I pray, Father, that you will work in us both the will and to do according to your good pleasure. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.